so we are in May, and uh, we are not doing a series, a sermon series this month. We decided not to do that. We're going to uh, kind of gear up for our summer series that will start next month. But this month, we're going to just do some, some uh, each week's going to be its own individual thing. Obviously, next week's Mother's Day, so that'll have its own theme to it. And uh, today, I'm, I'm really glad we didn't do a series this month because this week especially, even kind of last week too, I really started feeling this, this burden, this leading to uh, bring you a specific message today that I'm really excited about. Uh, so I've been reading the book of Exodus in my personal Bible reading time, my own prayer time. And uh, I love Exodus. Uh, it's by far one of my favorite books. It's definitely in the top three books of those uh, of documented miracles from God. Of all the books in the Bible, Exodus has definitely got, might even have the most miracles of any of the books in the Bible. It's got tons of, of incidences where God provided miraculously and did miraculous things. And, uh, you know, as I was reading, as I've been reading, I was just stirred in my heart, you know, that, that this is not just a history book that I'm reading, which I know that, but there's something extra. You know, sometimes the Lord just does a little, shows you a little more than he does other times. And I was just so challenged that this isn't just a history book about the miracles that God has done in the past, but that he is still a miracle working God today. That he does miracles every day. And you know what? It's okay for us to believe that and to look for those miracles in our life. And so I want to talk today about the God of miracles because I believe some of you may be here today and you thought, you know, you're not even sure that you were going to come this morning. You woke up and you're like, eh, kind of flipped a coin and thought you'd come. Can I tell you, I believe the Lord brought you here because I believe he wants to stir your faith. I believe he wants to challenge you today and encourage you that he is still a miracle working God. And my text verse is going to be out of Exodus, but I want to set it up for just a second. So if you know the story of Exodus, this is the book where Moses delivered, God used Moses to deliver all the Israelites out of Egypt. They'd been in slavery in Egypt for 430 years. It's a long time. God miraculously brought them out through the plagues and everything. Pharaoh finally told him, just go get out of here. Took all the people and they went through the desert and they got to the Red Sea. And then Pharaoh decided, what have I done? I've let all my free labor leave. So he got his army and they chased him. So here are the Israelites trapped between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea with nowhere to go. And so we're going to pick it up in Exodus 14. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read God's word together. Verses 10 to 14. It says, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, what is, uh, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Sounds crazy, doesn't it? They would argue about coming out of slavery. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. That's the word of the Lord for us today. Let's pray together. Our Father, we love you today. We thank you for your word. It is so powerful in our life, Lord. It is what transforms us. I pray your word would do its work today, God. Help us stir our faith today to believe and know that you are the God of miracles. Would you do your work in our heart the, only, the way that only you can do it, God? We promise to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise, and it is in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. So there was a Pew Research study that showed that about 80% of Americans believe in miracles. 
and about 90% of Christians believe in miracles, which is kind of funny to me. I don't know how you can be a Christian and not believe in miracles, right? Uh, the only reason that's probably not 100% was probably because some of the people that claim to be Christians weren't necessarily Christians. But if you are a Christian that believes the word of God, you know that miracles are real. And the better question for us as Christians might be, do you believe that miracles can happen to you? You see, it's easy to believe, easier I should say, to believe for a miracle for someone else. I can believe for you to receive healing. I can believe for you to receive a financial miracle, a, a, a relationship restoration, emotional healing, some act of God in your life. I can believe that because I'm not really having to step out on a ledge if I'm believing for you. But if I'm believing for me, I'm the one out on the ledge. And it's a little more challenging, isn't it? But we are called as believers to believe in miracles, to believe that God is who he says he is. It's all about our faith because it takes faith to believe that God is a God of miracles. I, I, I compared in the first service, I compared faith to a, a big pot of grits. I use grits because we're in the South. You know, when I, I, was, I lived up North where I grew up, it was all cream of wheat. And when you eat cream of wheat, you add milk and sugar to it. You know, so I started doing that to my grits and people looked at me like I was the antichrist, you know, like don't do that. Um, so I finally learned how to eat grits and I love them. And one thing I know about grits is that when, you, when they're on a pot, if you're baking a big pot of grits, you gotta keep them moving. You gotta keep them stirring or else they'll burn, right? And if you take them off the heat and you just let them sit there, they're gonna get crusty. You know how the top gets that crust that you have to kind of break through to get down to the soft grits? That's kind of how our faith is. Our faith has to constantly be stirred or it can get really stagnant. It can, it can become something like grits that have been sitting for a while. It's really unappetizing and nobody really wants anything to do with it. Uh, that's the same way our faith is. It is designed for it to be stirred in our life. And I came today to stir your faith because it matters. Our faith being stirred matters, okay? We serve a God that wants us to believe in the faith that we say we have. The Bible is very clear that the condition of our faith plays a part in the miracles of God in our life. It really does. It's not everything, but it plays a part. And I'll, I'll get into that more in, in a minute. But when we look back at the, the statistic that I gave, you know, that 80% of people believe in miracles, that, prop, that number is probably a little bit skewed because the term miracle has been um, kind of uh, watered down to some degree. You know, I, I know many of you know, despite what, what the movie is called, and despite what people say, the 1980 United States Olympic hockey team beating the Russians was not a miracle. <laughs> it was highly unlikely but it was not a miracle. In fact, the definition of a miracle is very clear. It says, it's a surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by nature or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. That's what a miracle is. Where there's no other way it could have happened except by a divine agency. And we know enough to know the only divine agent that's real is our heavenly father, okay? So a miracle has to come from him that cannot be explained any other way, okay? For instance, kids turning off lights when they leave a room is a miracle. I believe it with all my heart. My patience is tested more with light switches in my house than anything else. Uh, no, I'm joking, that's not a real miracle. But, but what we know, one, one miracle we know is a miracle is salvation because there is no way for people to come to salvation but by a divine agent in more ways than one. First of all, salvation wasn't even accessible until Jesus did what he did for us. 
It's the only way for us to really step into salvation. So that had to happen from God. But not only that, us even stepping into it is also a miracle because the Bible is clear that no one can come to God unless the Spirit of God draws him. So you can't choose on your own, I'm gonna become a Christian. If you choose that, that means the Spirit of God has been working in you and drawing you to God. So it's a miracle. So if you don't know any miracle you've ever experienced in your life, if you're here today and you say you are a Christian and you are a follower of Jesus, you've experienced a miracle. Because the only way that can happen is through a divine agent, which is our God in heaven. So I know I talk all the time about trusting God and how, how it's so important for us that we don't just put all of our eggs in the basket of like, God's got to do what I need him to do in my situation, right? Even last week, I talked about him being the good shepherd and how the good shepherd, uh, that he takes care of the sheep and we are his sheep of his pasture and that times in life that, that the storms are still gonna come, we're still gonna have to deal with the elements and sometimes we have to be okay to know that the shepherd is with us, even if we're not getting what we need in a situation, right? And that's very real, but we can't err on the side of that and that alone and not also believing that God does do miracles, that he can affect our situation, that he can come into a situation and do something that no one else could have done for us. And we need to believe that and we need to have our faith stirred to expect that in our life. And it is a very, very good thing. Jesus is real. He has the power to do miracles. He loves us enough to do miracles. He moves in the supernatural and we can believe it. However, it's also very confusing, isn't it? Because there's really no formula for um, having a miracle occur in my life. I'm not gonna stand up here today and tell you if you do this and this and this, boom, your miracle is at the end of this five-step process. That's not how it works, right? In fact, sometimes it seems like God is just very random at how he doles out miracles in life, right? It can seem that way at least to us because of our finite minds, because we can very easily uh, look at our own situation and say, well, if I was God, this is how I would do it, right? This guy over here, I would heal him because he's a good person and he, he's, he's got a family, he needs to be healed. This guy over here, I don't think I'd heal him because he's kind of a jerk, right? I mean, that's, even in our philanthropy, that's kind of how we determine who's worthy of our generosity in life, right? If I was God, you know, there'd be no need for children's hospitals because kids would get the miraculous healing every time, right? Because they're innocent, they deserve it. They, why can't God just heal every kid? That's what I would do if I was God, right? I would restore this marriage here because these are good people that give to the church. So I'd restore that one. But over here, I wouldn't do that because you know, they're, they're not good for each other anyway, right? We have our own criteria that we use and God doesn't fall into that criteria because there's times you'll see someone get a miracle that you know is a miracle of God that you think, well, that person didn't deserve that. And then you see people that you think would deserve it and they don't get it. And it can be incredibly random in our minds, but we don't look at these situations through our finite minds. There's a level of us trusting our God in the midst of all of this. In fact, uh, so there's a pastor acquaintance of mine here in town that recently was told that he had either liver or kidney cancer, okay? And he texted a bunch of us pastors. He said, hey, this is what's going on. Please pray for me. Uh, it's a tough situation. He's not even very old, he's, he's young actually. And uh, so we as pastors were praying for him and we, some of us get together weekly and we prayed for him in those meetings. And, and, uh, and about a month later or two months later, he texts the group and he says, hey, praise report, big time. Went to my doctor, we talked about treatment options. They, they looked at everything and they, the doctor came back in the room and said, I don't know what to tell you, it's really confusing, but you don't have cancer. Praise God, right? 
Incredible. Incredible. This guy totally got healed miraculously without any medicine, nothing. And I mean, we're just like buzzing for days, you know? So you got someone like him and you think, well, he, he deserves it. You know, that's great. He's a pastor, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean, that's not why he got healed necessarily, right? Because you look at other people, I, if some of you have been here long enough to remember BK Andrews, who was on our tech team. He served on our team for years and uh, he came down with stomach cancer and we did the same thing. We prayed, we laid hands on him. We went to his house, anointed him, prayed. We did everything for almost two years and he didn't get his healing on this side of heaven. He ended up going home to be with Jesus. And so that didn't make sense, you know? And then if some of you have been here long enough to remember Mr. Bob Pritz, he got cancer back in early 2000s. He was healed, we were rejoicing with him. We were so excited he got healed. A couple of years later, it came back and within a month he was with Jesus. And so there's all different types of healings and non-healings and different things that come, right, in life. We can't put God in a box. We don't necessarily get to understand everything. But what we know is that he's a God of miracles. I'm not gonna stand up here and make excuses for him because he doesn't need me to make excuses for him. He needs me to preach his word. His word tells me that he does miracles and we can believe him for it in our life. Now, to do that, we have to get to a place where we understand why God does miracles. Because again, if we look at it the way we are as a human, I would say, well, I would do a miracle for somebody because you know, I, I don't want them to hurt. I think I want them to you know, keep living their life or I want them to, get out of this financial trouble they're in, or I want them to have emotional healing. It's just a good thing, so I want them to have it. But again, God doesn't think like we do, right? So why does God do miracles in this world? Is it because he just loves us so much? I don't think that's really the case. He does, definitely does love us so much, but that's not what motivates him to do miracles because he loves us, because if that's it, then the person that gets the miracle they're looking for can look at the person that didn't get their miracle and say, Haha, I guess he loves me more right? And that's not the case at all. God loves us all passionately. And so it's not just about the fact that he loves us. Is it, is it something where he just wants us to really like him? He's kind of a needy friend. You know, it's like, hey, I'll, you know, the friend that will like give you more than they should because they just want you to be their friend. And so God's like, okay, well, I'll heal you if you'll love me, you know? No, that's not why he does it either. Our God is not a needy friend that just needs us to love him. Can I tell you today unequivocally the number one reason that God does miracles above all else is very simply for his glory. That's why he does it. Now, he loves you. He wants you to come out of your suffering. He wants you to be free. All those things are real, but let me tell you, so far above all those things that you can't even see is the fact that he does it for his glory. His motivation, his work in your life, every single good thing in your life is for his glory. It is to bring his number one priority in this world. Church, we need to get this. We have been indoctrinated for far too long in way too many churches where your faith and your life is about you. It's not about you, it's about Jesus. It is about his glory being revealed in your life. And can I tell you, this is not bad news. This is not, oh man, I really want it to be about me. So now I have to think differently. This is actually the most freeing thing you'll ever embrace in your life. My life, my Christian life changed when I realized, huh, it's not about me. What do you know? It, all the pressure is off. God, I want you to heal me. I want you to deliver me. I want you to set me free. I want you to provide miraculous for me. I want you to restore relationships for me. I want you to do all these things, but God, I really want you to get glory. And when my motivation is that he gets glory, man, the pressure's off. 
Because you know what? He's going to get glory. He's going to get glory if I get healed or if I don't. Because that's the purpose of my life. That's the foundation I'm standing on in my faith. You know, the people that walk away from faith when God doesn't come through for them the way they want, it's because they think their faith is about them. God owes me this. I've been faithful to you, God. I've been going to church since I was a toddler. I go to church every week. I give. I serve. I do all kinds of stuff. I've read my Bible 65 times. Like, I've done so many things. God, you owe me. Nope. It's all for his glory. And if it glorifies him, whatever he does is good. Now, that being said, that doesn't mean we say, okay, God, well, then I'm not going to really worry about getting a miracle in my life because the Bible's clear just as much that he does do miracles, that he does heal, that he does set free, that he does provide, that he's all those things for us too. So we can stand on that, but we have to come from an understanding that it is about his glory first. And it will, I promise you, if you're not there, for those of us that are there, it is a, the most freeing thing that you'll ever experience in your life. He is about his glory. In fact, we were created for his glory, according to Isaiah 43. We were saved for his glory. What? I thought I was saved so I didn't have to go to hell. You're saved for the glory of God. The perk is you get to go to heaven. It's still for his glory. Everything that happens is for his glory, according to Romans 11. He answers prayer for his glory, according to John 14. He even answers your prayers for his glory. And not only that, seeking our own glory makes faith impossible, according to John 5. You cannot want your own glory and have faith in God. It doesn't work that way. He doesn't come in to help you in your own glorious delights in your life. It's got to be about him and him alone. And then we get to reap some of the benefits of that relationship with him. So we understand why he does miracles. Now we have to understand how we posture ourselves, okay? And this is not some uh, way of coercing or manipulating God to do miracles in our life, but it's important that we know the, the, step, the stance, the posture that we should take as believers to see these miracles in our life, okay? And the first one is that we should have, or we need to have a heart of expectancy. Church, it is okay and it's actually really good to be expectant in our faith. Some of you need to know that. Some of you have been, have had one too many times where you've been disappointed, and so you're not expectant anymore. Can I tell you, your disappointment should never, ever cause you to stop believing that God does miracles. Never. And I know it can be tough, because if there's one thing every Christian that has served Jesus has in common, every single one of us, is that we've been disappointed, everyone. And some of you have allowed the disappointment to cause you to pull back and not be expectant. And others have used their disappointment to just trust God and say, well, this is what I wanted, it didn't happen, but God, I'm not gonna stop trusting you. We cannot allow the disappointment we have for, to cause us to stop trusting him. He wants us and calls us to be expectant. In fact, in Hebrews 4 verse 16, one of the best verses in the Bible, and we will read it and skip over it so quick and you won't even think about it when you read it, but there is power in this verse. It says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, some versions say with boldness, so that, everyone say so that, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What a powerful verse. He says, you can approach the throne of grace. The throne of grace, this is about the presence of God. This is about your relationship with God, walking into this relationship. 
you can go come in now boldly and with confidence. You see, it wasn't always that way. Old Testament, before Jesus came, you couldn't go into the throne of grace because there wasn't a such thing. There was a, there was a holy of holies, which was the presence of God. And the only person that could go in there was the priest. And he could only do it once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people. And he had to tie a rope around his waist with a bell so that they could find out if he fell down and died because God struck him dead. They still couldn't even go in there to get him. They had to pull him out with a rope. That's what it was like going into the presence of God before Jesus. Now there's a better way. And it says, now you can come into the throne of grace boldly, not just the priest, each and every one of us. And he says, come boldly so that the mercy and grace will be revealed in your life. Come in to the presence of God expectantly, confidently, expecting that God is who he says he is, expecting that he's gonna receive me, expecting that he's gonna do a supernatural work in my life or in the life of someone that I love and am close to. Expect that, then you will experience the mercy and grace of God. And you know, we like to say that grace is just getting what you don't deserve, and that's part of it, but grace is also power. It's supernatural power in our life. So you wanna see the supernatural power of God in your life, you come in expecting from God. It's very, very simple. Doesn't mean it's easy because again, if you've been disappointed and your expectations have not been met, it's easy to just kind of stand there with your hands in your pockets like, okay, Lord, well, this is what I need. You know, that's what I'm hoping for, but you know, I know you're probably too busy or you're not gonna do it, so whatever, you know. We're not called to live that way. In fact, uh, so I spent some time in West Africa back in my 20s. And when, we were, when I was living there, it was a, a Muslim uh, republic, Islamic Republic. Every local there was required to be Muslim. And the government was Muslim. And one thing you learn about living in a, in a community, in a culture like that, is that there's a phrase that Muslims utter all the time, and it simply says, inshallah. Many of you probably know what that means. It literally means, as God wills. So they just, to everything that happens, they just say, inshallah. And on the surface, it doesn't sound real bad, right? Because it's like, okay, well, you know, if God wants it, it'll happen. But the connotation of it is one of hopelessness. It's one of despair. It's one of having absolutely no expectation. Because why should I have any expectation? Because God's gonna do what he wants anyway. Inshallah, inshallah. You would hear that all, you couldn't get in a conversation without hearing that term uttered. And I remember one time being in a village, we were in this very, very poor village, and this woman was there with a baby, looked like the baby was probably six months old, the baby looked very anemic, looked very sick, almost looked, it looked like it was dying. And we asked through a translator, like, what's going on with this baby? And the mother said, well, um, you know, the baby won't, wasn't able to nurse for a while and, and uh, my milk dried up. And so, you know, now just whatever. And I heard her say, inshallah, she just kind of shrugged her shoulders. Like basically well, my baby's probably gonna die. Just like, that's what God wants, so whatever. And somebody on our team was a nurse. And she said, well, can I give this baby a bottle and see if the baby will uh, take milk, you know, because we had some formula there. And so we took the baby, gave the baby this bottle, and that baby sucked on that bottle like there was no tomorrow. And the mom looked at her and was going, uh, what's happening? I mean, and we're thinking, how could you not think this, right? But that mentality of inshallah is just as God will, you know, I'm not even gonna have to, I don't even have to try, you know? And you think that that brings freedom because like, well, you know, I don't have to worry about it. It doesn't, it brings despair. It brings hopelessness. And we are not called to live like that as followers of Jesus. We are called to put our hope in him and know that he is a God of miracles, that he is the God that can move mountains. He is the God that heals. He is the God that is personal and meets us in our time of need. That's who he is, amen? 
And you might think, well, isn't it just easy to not expect anything? It is for a minute, but then you find yourself being a grumpy, no hope, lonely person because nobody will want to be around because you just bring people down. And you know, that's what the Israelites got to. They'd been 430 years in Egypt. They lost all hope. They were beyond any kind of expectation. They had no expectation. They told Moses, leave us alone. We'll just stay here with the Egyptians. They were literally willing to stay in slavery because it got to the place where they had no expectation in life. And even in my text where when Pharaoh came and they saw they were trapped, they said to Moses, why didn't you just leave us in Egypt? We could have been fine there. Really? Being slaves, being mistreated and tortured for all these years? They had no expectation left. And I wonder if any of us are in that place in our life where we just have no expectation. Can I, can I challenge you today? I'm gonna pray for you at the end of this service. Oh, and I just wanna challenge you to allow God to stir the grits. Just stir the pot because you are not called to live that way. You are not. Nobody is. Any follower of Jesus should be able to have hope, should be able to have joy unspeakable, peace that goes against understanding, all of those things in our life because that is who he is and he is who he says he is. We are called to live with that hope. And I would rather live as someone that had the spirit of David who was very hopeful, very expectant. In fact, in Psalm 5, verse 3, he says, In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. We wait expectantly because we know the character of our God, that's who he is. And he will bring glory to himself through our life if we are expectant. Jesus recognized people's expectancy when, they, when he healed them, oftentimes in the scripture. The, the woman of, with bleeding that said, if I just touch the hem of his robe, I'll be healed. And when she touched him and he, she was healed, he said, woman, go, your faith has made you well. Your expectancy has made you well. Your expectant believing in me has made you well. He did this multiple times through the scripture because that is exactly what faith is. It is, it is active believing in our God that he is who he says he is. All right, so we have a heart of expectation. We also have eyes to see. We position ourselves to have eyes to see. God does miracles to reveal himself to people with eyes of faith. The Bible tells us that we walk by faith and not by sight. I'm not talking about our physical eyes with the pupil and the cornea and the rods and cones, not those eyes. Eyes of faith we see with our faith. And he does miracles to reveal himself to those people. And having those eyes means that we are sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. You see, there is no formula, as I've said, and I'll say again, there's no formula for experiencing a miracle in our life. But we have eyes of faith to see what a miracle looks like. See, we can't have this preconception, this this notion that we know what a miracle will look like in my situation. Like, God, I want you to, to heal me, okay? We, healing is always a big one where we're looking for God for miracles because of so much sickness and disease in our world, right? Well, God might heal you miraculously. He might use medicine to heal you. Either way, it's a, a miracle because it takes God's intervention to make our body line up with his. And so we can't have in our head how we think a miracle should look. In fact, the way Jesus healed blind people just in the scripture that we see, we see that he did it four different ways. Just very briefly in the scriptures, we see the one man, he spit on the ground and made some mud with his spit and rubbed it in his eyes and told him to go wash at the pool. Another man, he literally just spit right in his eye. That would be fun. Another one, he actually touched their eyes 
And then Bartimaeus, he actually just told him, your faith has made you well, go. And as he went, he was completely healed. Four different ways of, of healing blind just from the scriptures that we see. So there's not one way that a miracle is going to look in our life that we have to have it that way. We have to have eyes of faith to say, God, give me the discernment to see what you're doing in this situation. You know, we can even ask God to show us how to pray for something, to pray into his will. Because the Bible says we pray according to his will, it will be done. So we pray according to what he is wanting to do in this situation. I mean, what if one of the guys that got healed from blindness went up to Jesus and Jesus was like, okay, well, I'm, touch, I'm gonna touch your eyes. And the guy says, no, 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 I heard you spit in the guy's face before, just spit. Just go ahead and spit, that's all you gotta do and I'll be good, right? But we do that, where we tell God how he needs to do a miracle in our life, how he needs to give us some uh, supernatural act in our life. God, I need you to do it this way. And God says, I'll, I'm gonna do it my way. And we need to have eyes to see when he does that. Let me show you how important it is to have eyes to see. So in Exodus, in my, my text in chapter 14, you know, we know that, so the Israelites are trapped between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army, right? And they're freaking out. Moses, what are we gonna do? And Moses goes to God and God speaks to them in verses 19 to 20. And he, and he actually acts on their behalf. This is what it says. It says, then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind the army. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. This is very, very interesting. So this manifestation of God, the cloud, the pillar of cloud, we know that that cloud is what guided them during the day in the desert, right? And it, it lit the way for them as they were going. And it says that in this passage that the cloud went from being in front of them, leading them to the Red Sea where they thought they were trapped. This cloud, this manifestation of God set them up for failure is what they were thinking. This cloud comes around, goes behind them. So as they were lit up all night and could see fine, that same manifestation of God brought darkness to the Egyptians. This is why we have to have eyes to see because if we don't have eyes to see, the manifestation of God in our life, the supernatural working of God in our life can even put us in more darkness if we don't see what he's doing. If we're not aware of what he's doing, when we see God move, it can make it even darker for us. You see it in the New Testament when Jesus is healing people and on at least two different occasions, he healed one guy of leprosy and one blind guy on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees saw this and they were angry because he healed on the Sabbath. I mean, the, the lunacy of that, right? It wasn't like they were seeing healings all the time and it's like, oh, that's just another guy doing healing. They didn't see this kind of stuff. And to see a miraculous supernatural manifestation of God actually made them more in the dark than it brought them into the light. We have to have eyes to see what God is doing because it's not always gonna look like we think it's going to look. And if we don't have eyes to see, it's actually going to put us in darkness because we're gonna get frustrated because God's not doing what we think he needs to do. He's not working in my situation to think the way I think he needs to work. Now, sometimes it's obvious when someone's healed of cancer and it's obvious, praise God, that everybody knows it, right? But there are other times where it can be more subtle. It doesn't make it any less of a miracle. And if we don't have eyes to see it, we're actually gonna be in the dark. And frankly, this is somewhat of an epidemic in the church today where we don't really have eyes to see what God's doing and so we kind of try to rationalize everything that happens. I think we're all guilty of this on some level. 
In fact, this pastor friend of mine, he even admitted that when the doctor came in and said, hey, I'm not sure what to tell you. All I know is that you don't have cancer. Do you know he admitted his first reaction was, well, um, so the other place messed up the test? He's like, can, can we find out for sure if they didn't mess up the test? And he said, the doctor was telling him, listen, he said, I'm not saying it's not impossible for that to happen, but it is highly, highly unlikely. He said, let me tell you something, that was an accurate test. And the doctor is a Christian, the doctor's having to tell a pastor, hey, God healed you. Receive it, brother, right? <laughs> and, I, and I'm sitting there and I, I'm, I'm hearing this and I'm going, I would've probably done the same thing. Joy knows, I'd probably be there going, man, those stink, I've never sent anybody to that clinic. They'll tell you you got cancer when you don't. No, dummy, the Lord healed you, right? But we have to have eyes to see what God is doing. Okay, and finally, we need hands of obedience. So we have a heart of expectation, eyes to see, and our hands and our feet and our legs and our body, we're being obedient to the word of God in our life. A heart of expectation, eyes to see, are moot without obedience. Now, let me be very clear because this is the tension in our faith, okay? We don't earn the miracles of God by being obedient. You don't earn anything from God. There's nothing you can do to earn anything from God. But he also does respond to our obedience. We're not obedient so that we get a miracle. We're obedient because we love our God. And let me, let me also clarify, obedience doesn't mean that we're perfect and we never do anything wrong. The most obedient people aren't the ones that never do anything wrong. The ones that are obedient are living a lifestyle of obedience where when we do stumble, when we do fall, when we do slip up, we are quick to repent, we are quick to be convicted, and we are consistently coming back. And we're consistently saying, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. I say it all the time, but I, I think it's something we need to hear all the time. Jesus, when he told us how to pray, he said, one of the things you need to pray is, God, forgive me for my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. The Christian should live a lifestyle of repentance because nobody is perfectly obedient you don't go through days and weeks and weeks and months without sinning. It's not possible because even a thought in your head can be a sin. So we need to constantly be sensitive to the Spirit's conviction in our life, repenting. That's what obedience looks like, not doing everything perfect. Okay? It's an attitude of obedience. So when we have hands of obedience, we are living in such a way that we are being obedient. We are being surrendered, submitted to our God, to his way and to his word. Now, that is not a formula to say, okay, well, this guy's obeying me so much, I'm gonna go ahead and do a miracle for him. That's not what it is. But we also see in the word that there were many, many times where the response, the miracle came because God said to do something, they did it, the miracle came, okay? Peter on the boat, when Jesus first met him, he said, Peter, throw your nets out in the deep water. And Peter said, Lord, we've been fishing all night and haven't caught a thing. But because you said to, I'll do it. He threw his net out, pulled in so many fish, the boat started to sink, right? It's about obedience in our life. It's about living in such a way that we will respond to what the Lord asks us to do. I can tell you without question, unequivocally, that there's just as much talk about obedience in the New Testament as there is in the Old. There's just as much in both. Just because of this, the, the grace that we have from Jesus and what he's done for us does not mean that we need to live a life, a life less obedient. In fact, the grace of God helps us to live a life of more obedience. That's what his grace is meant to do. It's meant to empower us to live in such a way that will honor him 
and that will glorify him in our life. Now, I know this isn't a real popular topic to preach about in a lot of churches today. I think our church is great. I think you guys receive it. I think you love it. I think you agree with it. But you don't hear it a lot because most people would rather just hear, you know, God, God will just, he'll figure it out. You just, you know, say you love Jesus, ask him into your heart. He loves you so much, he'll figure it out. You'll still be fine. No, there's a lot of, if you will do this, then I will do that in the Bible. Lots and lots of it. God has called us to obedience. And we know that willful disobedience is not something God takes lightly. In fact, so when Moses was called originally, God brought him up on Mount Sinai. This before, this is the, the Israelites were still in Egypt. He calls me, says, hey, talks to him through a burning bush. Says, I'm, gonna, I'm commissioning you to go deliver my people out of Egypt. And so Moses starts making excuses. He says, uh, first he says, well, who am I? So he was fearful. He's like, who am I to do this? And God says, don't worry, I'm gonna go with you. And then he says, well, who should I say sent me? So he was showing his cynicism. He's being skeptical that God was really gonna do this. He said, who should I say sent me? Because they're gonna ask. He said, you tell them I am sent you. I got you. And then he goes on, he says, well, what if they don't believe me? So his doubt is coming out. Like, it's excuse after excuse. And God says, okay, gives them a staff and says, you know, this staff, you're gonna be able to do some miracles with this staff so they will believe that I am the one that sent you. And he finally says, but I don't talk real well. God says, it's okay. He says, I will, you, I will speak through you. You'll be fine. So Moses had his fear, his cynicism, his doubt, and his insecurity. God's willing to deal with all that. But then Moses takes it another step and he upsets God because he says, God, can you just send someone else? He was refusing to go willful disobedience. In fact, in, verse, in Exodus 4, 13, let me read that. It says, but Moses said, oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, what about your brother Aaron? God wasn't mad at Moses for his fear, his doubt, his insecurity, his skepticism. He wasn't mad at him about any of those things. It was when he said, send somebody else. I'm not willing to do it. That's when it, the Lord's anger burned against him, the Bible says. He was okay to deal with everything else, but not the willful disobedience. Because, you know, it wasn't like God said, came to Moses and said, hey, I'm thinking about delivering my people. Are you interested? He said, you're going to set my people free. So this was commissioned and he willfully disobeyed and God's anger burned against him. So what does this have to do with miracles? Well, I'm not gonna say it's a sure thing, but there's no doubt that many of the miracles in the word are on the other side of obedience. Many, many cases. I could have I listed 30 of them quickly if I had the time. But God's miracles came in people's lives on the other end of obedience, of being obedient to him and walking out what God had called him or her to do. And one reason is because miracles are not meant to enable our lack of faith. They're not designed to enable us when we don't believe. I, I hate the prayer that says, God, if you do this for me, then I will serve you. I don't believe God responds to that. I really don't. Because that's manipulation. That's saying, well, God, you know, I can't trust you enough on this side of it, but man, if I could see your supernatural presence, then I'll serve you. The reality is oftentimes that's not even true because the Pharisees asked for a sign, right? And God gave it, gave, Jesus was doing all kinds of stuff. They're like, well, just do another one. Do another one and we'll believe. And Jesus says, a, a, a perverse generation asks for a sign, but they won't receive it because basically you won't believe it anyway. That's not really what God responds to. And we have authority when we walk in obedience. 
that's when we can come confidently into that throne of grace because we know that his mercy and his grace will go with us. Can I challenge you today? I know that some of you need a miracle from God. I know probably in this room, many of us feel like we're desperate in need of a miracle for ourselves or maybe for someone that we love a lot. Can I, can I challenge you and commission you to live a life of obedience, to set yourself up. And I'm not just talking obeying the obvious things out of God's word, but really letting the Lord even speak to your heart. There's times if it, it, he'll, he'll prompt us to do something, to step out in faith, to step out on that ledge, and he'll meet us out there. I remember the time we had the, one of the greatest financial needs in our marriage. We were in business, and it was a time where, you know, feast or famine, we were in the famine season, and we desperately were, we were in pretty dire need, and we felt like the Lord told us to do something extravagant, to give a bunch of money away above and beyond what we would ever have done on our own. And we did it, and God miraculously provided. Now, that doesn't mean every time we found ourselves in a financial pinch, we just, oh, well, I got the formula, honey. Let's give away a ton of money. The Lord told us to do it specifically. And when we walked in that obedience, we were able to stand on that, know God was gonna come through for us because we stood in obedience to what he told us to do. That's who he is. But you know, it's not in our nature to obey God. It's not in our sin nature to obey God. You know, who's, you know who our nature wants to obey? This guy, right? We all want to obey ourselves. I want to meet my needs. I want to feel comfortable and good. I want to do what I want to do. I want to obey my urges, right? So we have to come against that to obey the actual leading of God in our life because it is very, very clear. The Bible's clear. We reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. There is a sowing and reaping principle in the word of God when it comes to how you treat others, when it comes to how you spend your time, when it comes to how you spend your money, when it comes to every aspect of life, we reap what we sow. That's all about obedience and walking in obedience to God. Would you stand with me, please? I know I went a little bit long today, but I really want to, I want to do something a little different today. I want to pray for us. And I believe there is significance if we respond to the word. So I would like for everybody in this room that feels like they need God to move in a supernatural way in their life, whether it's in relationship, finances, health, emotions, whatever it is, if it's for you or even for somebody that's really close to you, I'd like you, every one of you to come and stand up here at the altar and I wanna pray over you. And I believe God is going to stir your hearts today. In, the, in a room this size, half of you should be up here because I know we, many, many of us are in desperate need of a miracle from God. And you might say, well, what does it matter if I come up to the front? Like, is there something special at the altar? No, but it does something in us. It's an act of obedience, church. If, God's, if your heart's pounding a little bit, it's an act of obedience to step out. It's a small act of obedience because there's so many people up here, it's not like you're gonna stand out necessarily, but it means something to God when we're willing to say, yes, I'm saying yes to this. And when the power and the presence of God infiltrates our life, it changes us. It changes us. And that's who he is. You don't have to be a Pentecostal or a charismatic. It doesn't, that has no relevance when it comes to whether or not God has the supernatural ability to move in your life and on your behalf. He's looking for hearts that are open and willing, hearts that are desperate for him, hearts that are expectant, eyes to see, and hands of obedience. So I just want you to receive this prayer today and let God stir in your hearts. Let's pray together. 
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you today because we know that we can come to you as your word tells us in Hebrews 4, that we can come boldly to your throne of grace. Lord, we come boldly today with bold requests. Lord, asking you to do what only you can do in our lives. Lord, we thank you that you are a miracle working God. Lord, we surrender ourselves to the idea, to the fact that even your miracles in our life are for your glory. That everything good in our life, every answered prayer, every blessing in our life is for your glory first. Lord, we accept that today. We recognize it. We rejoice in it actually because it sets us free because it's all about you. So Lord, we, we thank you for that. We build on that foundation today as we come today and we ask you for a supernatural move in our lives. Lord, I pray for each and every person at this altar, for those online that couldn't come to this altar that need it as well. Lord, that you would move in our lives. Would you show yourself to be the powerful God that we know that you are? We know, Jesus, that you can do things that no one else can do. Lord, I pray for those standing here today that need a miracle in their health or in the health of someone they love. Lord, the doctors have given them a bad report. They've tried every kind of medicine they know. They've tried every doctor they know and they cannot get any traction. And the report maybe isn't even good. Lord, we stand today. We thank you that it is by your stripes that we are healed, that you took the stripes on your back, not just for our spiritual healing, but for our physical healing as well that you created the innermost parts of our being, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you love us and that you wanna glorify yourself through us, Lord. So we pray for total healing, that our bodies would line up with your word and be completely healed and whole in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you for it, Lord. We thank you, God. We pray for those that need emotional freedom today, God, that they have tried so many things. They've tried depression medications, they've tried counselors and they can't get anywhere, God. And they've come to a place of hopelessness of no expectation, but God, we pray today that you would stir our hearts to be expectant, Lord. We pray that you would bring emotional freedom in the lives of those that need that today, Lord. Bring emotional, set us free emotionally, God. I pray that you would heal the trauma in the lives of those that are here today. Father, that for those that are even having trouble sleeping at night because they're having nightmares, reliving the trauma, Lord, that you would even wipe their memory, that they wouldn't even be able to remember some of the things, but that they would be able to walk in perfect peace that they would have joy unspeakable, that they would have rest in Jesus' name, supernatural rest in their lives. Lord God, that you would set us free from fear and anxiety and worry and depression and despair in the name of Jesus, God, that you would do a mighty work in the hearts of those here today, Father God. Lord, we pray for those that need a miracle of finances. Lord, we know that that is so, so real in our culture today, that we need so much to get by. So Father, I pray for those that need you to provide supernaturally, that you would show off, that you would provide in a way that they would know that it was from you, that it was from nowhere else, but it was a miracle of God meeting our needs. Lord, we thank you that you are the great provider, that you are high above all else, that you can do things, you can, you can provide for us in spite of ourselves sometimes, Lord. And we know we don't deserve it. We know we all waste money. We know we can all do things that aren't great with our finances, but Lord, we know that you are a God full of grace and that you can provide even when we have made mistakes, Lord. It does not disqualify us from your miracles. So Lord, we thank you for it. We repent where we have fallen short and we receive your forgiveness. We ask you would move in a mighty, powerful way, Lord. And I thank you today because I know that you are gonna bring testimonies out of this that are gonna glorify you. 
God, we have no desire to glorify New Hope. We have no desire to glorify me. We only desire to glorify the name of Jesus, the name above all names, the name that is worthy of all of our praise, all of our adoration, all of our love, and all of our worship. We praise you today, God, and we love you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. We praise you for the victory, Lord. We praise you in advance. And we know you're going to bring it, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. I, I, I believe you're going to be different. I believe that your heart is stirred. Not different, like a different, not positive mental attitude. I'm not a, I'm not a uh, motivational speaker. <laughs> I am here to help bring the, the truth of the word of God into your life. He is the one that can bring permanent change in our life. And I believe he's doing it in you. And I believe you're gonna leave here today and you're not gonna be the same. And that if you are needing healing or a miracle finances or whatever it is, if you don't see it by tomorrow, don't get discouraged. Continue to be expectant. He is a miracle working God. And he will do it in our lives, amen. Praise God, thank you, hallelujah. Praise God.